You're listening to Things Get Dark. This episode contains mature subject matter that might not be suitable for all ages. Listener discretion is advised. Hello and welcome to the inaugural episode of Things Get Dark. I'm Adrian Johnston, and with me is my very first guest. Hopefully not my last. This is Jason Robbins I'm sitting with here in Hearsay Studios in beautiful Ferndale, Michigan. Say hi, Jason. Hi, Jason. Hi. <laughs> okay, so let's get right down to it. Today's episode is going to be about, you know it, you love it, you've heard all about it, the satanic panic of the 80s and 90s. Now, we're also going to touch a little bit on the... Um, go through the McMartin preschool trial, which was a scandalous news story of the day that a lot of people I don't think know about. But being a child of the 80s, um, I do remember a little bit of this, but probably not as much as my guests remember. So if you (laughs) like, we're just going to kind of go through what that era was like. And I mean, I was, I'll be 37 on Friday. I, I was eight years old when the 80s ended. Oh, happy birthday. Why, thank you. Um, But I remember a little bit about, like, how the media firestorm and the whole, like, there's a child molester lurking on every corner, like, trying, going to snatch your child up and you're never going to see your kids again and all that sort of thing. Like, that was pretty prevalent and it trickled down into the mainstream and into elementary schools and preschools and we would have assemblies and things like that and you're supposed Mm -hmm. to yell as loud as you can no when a stranger approaches you and you know all that sort of thing but what do you remember from that i remember like so much it was a crazy time yes everything was satanic everything was satanic and it was i just can't get you it's so hard for like i mean you look at millennials now and it's like it just seems like it was such a long time ago, and it really wasn't. Like, we're not that old. <laughs> no, and could you imagine if there was social media back then, how much oh worse it would have been? Oh, my gosh. Oh, I can't even imagine. Oh. So, like, give me some examples of what was, like, a regular, like, regular, like, subject matter in your household. Like, you were talking about <laughs> movies and books and things like that that you were exposed to as a child. Well, yeah, I grew up in the 80s. I'm a little bit older than you. Okay. So, uh, I was in a Pentecostal uh, home. So, like, raised Pentecostals. So, okay. if you're not familiar with that, that's a, the church that was, like, speaking in tongues and laying on hands. Did you and... guys have snakes? No, no, that's further south. So, okay. I was very much happy that that wasn't you part of it. You were northern Pentecostal. Yeah, okay. you know, with southern roots. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I, I just remember that time being a very fear-mongering time. Like, uh, you know, y- you know, I pretty much was born during the time that TV evangelists were really at their height. Jimmy Swagger, Tammy oh, yes. Faye, and Jim Baker. PTL. PTL. Yes. yes. Uh, 700 Club. 700 Club was, I remember that being on. Yes. Right, right. And then we also had, was 700 Club was, oh no. That's Pat Robertson's that show. That was Pat Robertson, but Jack Van Impey presents. That was like, wasn't that like, I think that was like recorded right here in Michigan. Rochester, I believe he's from. Rexella Van Impey. Yes. Oh my God. We all, I love Rexella. 
I, you know what? You I, don't remember I her? I don't recall Re- Rexella. She was the Tammy. She was like a lower rent version of Tammy Faye, but she oh. was Jack Van Impey's wife. Well, I don't like her. They're still wrong. Well, I know. Well, there's nobody who hold a candle to Tammy no. Faye ever. But anyway, continue. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so like me growing up, everything was like very religious. And uh, the Pentecostal church was very good at fear-mongering, I feel like. No offense to this church, by the way. I just, this is my personal recollection. It's one of the reasons why I was, wasn't brought up in a religious household anyway yeah. yeah like so from a very early age i was like always introduced with the idea of the rapture and that anytime god could come and if i'm not ready i mean i go to bed at night like being like praying to god that if he comes while i'm sleeping then i'll be able to go to heaven type stuff so oh my god that sounds that's awful oh yeah i mean probably at the age eight i could lecture the whole book of rap of revelations to other students and kids oh, and whatnot no. yeah yeah yeah. So, so, like, whenever there was a thunderstorm and, like, there was lightning outside, did yes. you think it was the rapture coming? Yes. I still do that. Like, if I hear oh. a big bang and I wake up or something like that, I'm like, whoa. I went to school with a girl that said that once, and it always stuck with me because I thought to myself, like, how sad is that? Like, you can't, like, you think it's the end of the world if it's even lightning outside your bedroom window. Right. And you should see the posters they would put up in one of the churches that I went to with pictures of the beasts and different parts of, oh, my, oh my God, gosh. the seven seals and... <sighs> Like, yeah, I mean, I get it. There's a healthy fear, you know, that I think everybody needs. But I feel like there can be levels where it becomes way too unhealthy of a fear. Like a five-year-old should probably shouldn't be hearing about the rapture. Yeah, aware of stuff like that. So is this like comparable to Catholic guilt, like with sexuality? <gasps> oh, yeah. Com- you know, it's instead of sexuality, it's the the rapture like instead of, you're gonna burn in hell for touching yourself it's you're gonna right. burn in hell if you don't if your soul isn't saved and you're gonna not be raptured right exactly okay That's i see so it's like how it goes okay yeah. so it's comparable to the whole like got it got right. it got it right so so that was just shoved down your throat your entire like early childhood huh yes yes everything was satanic let me ask you a question do you have uh any uh kind of um what's the word i'm thinking of you feel like, you know, resentment for that. That's what I was trying to think of. <laughs> like, um, because I've talked to people before that grew up in, like, they went to Christian schools and stuff, and they thought, you know, my life would have been so much different had I not been brought up in that environment. Like, I probably would have liked myself a hell of a lot quicker. I probably have and resentment for other things. Other things, but not okay. so much that. Okay, like, um, I feel like at that time you just gotta realize, like, my parents were probably just as fearful. You know, and that's the truth. And they they thought they were doing the right thing, right? They thought they were doing the right thing. They weren't doing that on purpose to. Yeah. And at that time. Frighten you. Exactly. And at that time, everything could turn you to Satan. It was Satan's way of coming to get you. Like, and especially for children, that was really announced. Like, it's coming for your children. That's how he's going to get in. Okay. So I remember that when I was in high school, I had a friend. that wasn't allowed to watch the Smurfs when she was growing up because, and I know, yeah, you, you, he's nodding his head. He knows exactly what I'm talking mm-hmm. about. And this is a pretty common example. Gargamel practiced black magic, and the Smurfs themselves were like little demons that were like, because uh, he Gargamel created the Smurfs, and that they were a result of his black magic. And the cat's name's Azrael, and Azrael's a demon in in the Bible, correct? I, that? Yeah, it's, I do remember watching an episode of the PTL Club when I was young when they were saying, like, Azrael is the name of the demon in a satanic Bible. Also, I remember them saying that in the satanic Bible, there's a passage where it's like a little creature, two apples high, came up to me, and they're like, two apples high? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, 
Well, now we know how big Smurfs are supposed to be. They're supposed to be two apples high. Is two I, apples did they, high. I think they like even talk about that in the show. Yeah. They do. Yeah. Oh, my God. Okay. But not to correct you. Well, now you, I'm pretty convinced that the Smurfs are demonic. <laughs> they, they might be really demonic, but he only created Smurfette. Oh, that's right. Yes. To infiltrate yes. the Smurfs. Because she was like a demon, and then they, they, she loved them all, and mm-hmm. she wanted to stay, and she wasn't, because she was supposed to be like the evil, like, temptress, right? Right. And there was okay. also rumors that, like, the Smurfs were homosexual. Right. Because they were all male group. Right, right, right. Oh, my gosh. And there was so Vanity great. Smurf. He was pretty freaking gay. He was really fruity. I remember he was. him. So was Brainy. He a couldn't bit. take. Didn't Vanity have like a Southern accent for some reason? You know, I don't. I think he did for uh, some undisclosed reason. I just he had a little voice bit of a, like this. Okay, <laughs> I don't remember quite. <laughs> Maybe I'm thinking of another one. I don't. It's been 30 years since I've seen that show. Um, fun fact: When I dissected a cat in high school, we named it Azrael. Anyway, moving on. Um, I totally saw it. It's head in half. Anyway, moving on. Um, it just got dark. There was a – things got dark. <laughs> there was a book that you read as a child, and um, a good friend of mine also, my, my good friend Derek, actually did a book report on this in high school because he thought it was just too hilarious, and he went to Christian school as well. <laughs> so he was very familiar with this book, and I – Remember recently, he didn't. He was describing it to me, and I didn't believe him that this book existed. And he was like, "No, no, no, you got to see this." Like, and we looked it up online. The guy that I think wrote it did like this insane interview. The book I'm talking about, you go, you go ahead and introduce it, Jason. Oh, oh, it's called Turmoil in the Toy Box, and I didn't even know there was a sequel until you let me know. So I bought them both. There's two, yeah. So Jason, yeah, I just we were just having a, like a, a conversation through text about these books, and I just, I just, uh, yeah, like he said, there is a sequel that came out, and I believe in 1990, and it has Batman and all these other like the Barbie, Barbie, um, the Stay Puft Marshmallow. No, that's like just the ghost from the Ghostbusters, right? Roger Rabbit. He was evil. So all of the iconic characters that you love from growing up, um, Taking if you're if you're our age, yeah, just shitting all over it. <laughs> But um, this first book is like it was kind of a phenomenon, was it not? In like churches and things like that, because yeah. it was kind of a bestseller. I mean, I remember finding it like in my stepfather's office and start reading it, and I was like, <laughs> "Oh, this is why they're not letting me watch this stuff." I mean, they were on again, off again, but like, oh my god, He Man was evil. Talk about mixed signals. They were on again, off again. <laughs> well, <laughs> anyways, Care Bears were like really evil too, because instead of children calling on god to answer their problems they called it on the care bears oh yeah like, so that means that they were trying they were um being idolistic or whatever i don't even know if that's right. a word but you go to jesus for help right you don't go, you don't to, go to care bears right no. exactly those demonic little bears will get you in trouble right exactly so give us a description like the description on the back of this book is hilarious all right i'll read this <laughs> A shocking expose of the toy and cartoon industry. It reveals the hidden dangers found in He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. Barbie, (laughs) Rainbow Bright, G.I. Joe, Smurfs, Dungeons and Dragons, Care Bears, Thundercats, E.T., Cabbage Patch Kids, to name a few. That was way more than a few. Yeah. Okay. This book unmasks the New Age occult, violent, and satanic influences that have invaded the once innocent toy box. Turmoil in the Toy Box also explains the importance of play and how toys can enhance or stunt a child's development. In addition, this book provides the reader with an alternative to today's most popular toys. Now kids have the internet. 
<laughs> I know. Now kids can see hardcore pornography with a click of a button. <laughs> Not just like generalized pornography. They can get real specific with it too. Yeah. Like very specific. Any genre. They look at the up tips of their fingers. Yeah, you just look up like something you s- sounds innocent and there's some kind of sexual act that <laughs> is called that. Exactly. <laughs> so, but you know, Care Bears are evil. But um, yeah. that just is, is one, one example of how insane the media was back then. Like there were, I, I distinctly remember the whole stranger danger thing, which kind of goes hand in hand with the satanic panic of the late, it was more late 80s, early 90s is what I remember. I remember my dad um, had a VHS tape of, um, for those of you that don't know what that is, that's a great big like rectangular black plastic thing (laughs) that you put into this big machine and you press play and a movie comes on the TV. It was called Too Smart for Strangers and it was Winnie the Pooh. And it was a bunch of adults in like Winnie the Pooh character costumes singing songs about stranger danger. And they talked about bad touching and good touching and all that sort of thing. That was really, and I, and it really was kind of, it wasn't as popular, I think, as Turmoil in the Toy Box or anything like that. But um, there's all kinds of wonderful examples of, of, these, <laughs> of these, like, personal uh, self-help videos and, like, enrichment videos that, like, you know, classes would be shown and right. children would be shown, you know, um, on YouTube if you want to look those up, but... What were some of the uh, – you were just talking about, like, the horror movies that you would see as a kid. Well, that was weird because where I was, like, kept away from stuff like that, I was mm-hmm. easily shown horror movies. Like, my first memory of horror movies is staying the night at my aunt's house. And she okay. was 16 but didn't want to watch them alone. So I was, like, four or five. <laughs> okay. So yeah. we were, like, watching Halloween. But you weren't Children allowed the... to watch the Smurfs. I wasn't allowed the to watch okay. the Smurfs. Gotcha. Um, Children of the Corn. I remember those. Oh my God. And then when we got our first VCR, I think I was in kindergarten as well. First movie that my parents rented was um, Dawn of the Dead. Wow. And they're like, you got to watch the our classic. first VHS. <laughs> and it was Dawn of the Dead. <laughs> Needless to say, I had a lot of recurring nightmares as a child. Oh, man. See, I was kept so far away from that that when I saw, like, my dad was really adamant about, like, what, like, not letting us watch any kind of scary movies whatsoever. Mm. Because I think of his personal experiences as a kid when he was growing up. Like, he would watch, like, I mean, I had the old dad. He was, like, nearly 40 when I was born. Mm-hmm. He would watch, I don't know if you're familiar with William Castle. Oh, yeah. Like, John Waters was a huge fan of William Castle. Yeah, he, did, he was, like, the gimmick king of the movies. Mm-hmm. Where he, 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 my dad Shock-a-rama. has a, yes, exactly. My dad has a memory as a teenager of having to sign a life insurance contract at, <laughs> because he was about to go watch Macabre by William Castle. And it was, like, you know, if you die a fright watching the movie, you know, like, it was, it was one. <laughs> of those things to get and it just scared the shit out of him so watching horror movies was completely out of the question for me when i was a kid i remember seeing the trailer for child's play oh my god and being terrified like terrified to the point where like all of the dolls that night in my bed had to be taken out of my bedroom that movie frightened me as a kid and at that time my brother had one of those my buddy dolls oh which yeah I'm my buddy sure yes. is what it what they were like you know, developing developing it. Oh, after. yeah, they totally were like, yeah. I would look from down from my top bunk, look down at my brother, make sure that doll <laughs> had it moved. That doll would, was scary anyway. It, it was scary. On its own, it's like, my sister had the girl version of it, kid sister. Kid sister. Yeah. Yeah, she, she was a little less scary. Mm-hmm. She was a little sweeter looking. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so what were some of the, like, you said that you would watch, like, these scary apocalyptic 
movies in church, right? Well, yeah. Or would they be like um, at home? Church and home. And there was like a three-part series that was from the early 70s. I started watching them last night, and then their production value was very low. And you said you had nightmares, right? Yeah, I kind of had like rough dreams last night. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> but uh, the first one it was called, um, oh, now it's just drawing my name. Uh, it was called A Thief in the Night because that's how Christ was supposed to return as a thief in the night. Oh, I didn't know that. And then there was a second one like seven years later and it's like a like a loud thunder. And then there's a third one with some kind of beast title. I'm going to finish them, I think, tonight. It's all apocalyptic based though. Basically, and okay. these movies, like back in the 80s, there were a lot more Christian bookstores, and they had their own little Christian like libraries, nice like, video yeah. libraries, right, right, right. So you could just rent these, and my parents just loved renting those movies, and like, and you would have they'd have no problem whatsoever with you watching whatever you got from that particular video no no from problem that library. There's like one scene where a girl's refused to take the beast, and she's about her head's in a guillotine, mm-hmm. and then big earthquake happens she's like i'll take the, i'll take the mark i'll take the mark and then all of a sudden she gets <laughs> decapitated and it was like everybody's like did she or did she not go to heaven she didn't have the mark but she said she'd take it oh it was like a cliffhanger yeah and it never got explained so the moral of the story is don't wait till last minute yeah yeah, yeah don't wait to the tribulation the last period minute, right because then it's going to be pretty rough <laughs> unbelievable see now and i'm just familiar now with um the way of the master with kurt cameron are you familiar with that? No, I try to stay away from anything. Are you familiar he does. with that, Andy? Andy knows that. He's shaking his head. It's like it's a guy. It's this British guy for like sounds like Ringo Starr and Kirk Cameron, and they walk around on the streets of it looks like L.A. or something, like talking to people on the street, and they talk about the rapture and if the rapture happened today, would you be ready to go? Like you know, and they basically just bombard people with a camera and try to get them to convert. Christianity. It's, I don't think it's on the air anymore, but I didn't have cable for a long time. And uh, that was the only thing that was on late at night. That's a shame. Um, <laughs> so, well, there was this really popular picture too that was on a lot of people's living rooms, especially older people. And it was a picture of the Pentecostal rapture. families. Okay. Yeah. And it would show like planes crashing into other planes because you know people disappear and like cars crashing. That's right. Do you remember ever seeing that? Like, no. And then the spirits going up into the heaven and like Jesus in the sky. And it was like, I came from a, I came from a half assed Methodist family that like never <laughs> went to church. Methodists are so nice. <laughs> we never talk about fire and brimstone or the, anything like that. They're like the Hufflepuffs of religion. Yeah. It's diet, relig- like diet, Christian, Christianity light, very light. <laughs> We just, if you show up, if you just throw a couple of bucks in the collection plate, you're good. Like, you're not going to burn in hell, so. (laughs) All right, and the other thing that most people our age remember are the volumes and volumes of talk shows with that particular subject of, Satanism and ritualistic killings and child sacrifice and (laughs) witches. And one familiar face that I remember seeing as a child, because she was so beautiful, was Zena LaVey. Yes. Anton LaVey, as we all know, founder of the Church of Satan, founded it in 1966, I believe, in San Francisco, back when the dark arts and (laughs) alternative lifestyles were a huge thing was very in vogue yes very on trend he had a house and decided he was gonna become head of the church of satan and his daughter was xena and she grew up to be this beautiful blonde 
And he kind of pimped her out with her husband on all of these talk shows where she would basically represent the Church of Satan. And like you said, we we were just recalling an episode of Geraldo where he just like shits all over her. Like, yeah, he had a primetime special. I think it was around 1987. And it was like a lot of people tuned in for this. Much, which you can still see on YouTube to this day. Yeah, Highly recommend watching it if you're into this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and like his... Or I just remember her husband was this like very, he looked like he was like a horror host from like this, like just slicked back hair, white, white skin and very monotone. Like he, and neither, neither one of them smiled. No. They're very, very serious. Now, was that the guy who was? Nicholas in- or something I think was his name. Oh, okay. I was thinking of somebody different. So. Okay. But anyway, like they, they were, they were, they did like the whole talk show circuit and tried to basically like dispel any kind of rumors or like myths about what satanism right in their definition was and like we didn't say to do that these people are just crazy yeah they're, they're taking just... something and that's not what we're about exactly exactly um and then one of the great the biggest examples i think and the earliest examples is a book called Michelle Remembers it was written by Dr. Lawrence Padzer and Michelle Smith who is the apparent victim the alleged victim of mm-hmm. this book it was published in 1980 and it was the first book ever to really account satanic ritual abuse but it was and it was sold to the public as if it was actual like set in stone fact, like this this was a true account, and it was very much in the same vein as like Amityville Horror and Sybil, where everything in the book eventually, after it became a huge bestseller and blew up, and they did all these interviews and everything, was completely dispelled yeah. and debunked. Um, in the cover, if anybody remembers this book, it's pretty horrifying. Like if you're just like you know, in a bookstore with your kids and you happen to cross this paperback, it's a little girl and she's clutching a doll and she's wide-eyed. She looks horrified and she's surrounded by a circle of lit candles and the devil himself is is like peering over her like the satanic demonic face. <laughs> and this was a bestseller. This is how crazy this decade was. Um, and the book claimed to be claimed that the Church of Satan was behind all of these horrific, like, things that this poor little girl was subjected to. And Anton LaVey himself actually threatened to sue the publisher. Um, And (laughs) it says here, uh, I did some research. The first alleged ritual attended by Smith took place in 1984 when she was five years old. And the final one documented in the book was an 81-day ritual in 1955, 81 days, that summoned the devil himself and involved the intervention of Jesus, the Virgin Mary, and Michael the Archangel, who removed the scars received by Smith throughout the year of the abuse, throughout the year of abuse, and removed memories of the events until the time was right. Quote unquote. During the rites, Smith was allegedly tortured, locked in cages, sexually assaulted, assaulted, forced to take place, take part in various rituals, witnessed several murders, and was rubbed with blood and body parts of various murdered babies and adults. Yeah. <laughs> so so that <laughs> that kind of like kicked off the whole um like mainstream. So like and then after that became a bestseller, you had housewives in Iowa believing all of this stuff to be true. Mm-hmm. And you know, 
their children, you know, possibly could be subjected to this sort of thing. So I think that that kind of planted the seed in people's minds that maybe, just maybe, things like this were happening, you know, in in America. Um, And in 1984, Pazder, I think I was saying that right, he was the doctor that eventually actually married Michelle Smith. He was a consultant in the McMartin preschool trial. And the McMartin preschool trial is what I was kind of like wanting to like talk about for this episode, just because I don't think a lot of people remember it. But it's just, it was insane. It's a great story. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, the cast of characters, Virginia McMartin, she was the school founder. She was the sweet little old lady that founded this preschool in Manhattan Beach, California. And in the 80s, she was, you know, like an old lady. She was in her late 70s. And she ran the school along with her daughter, who was a school administrator. Raymond Bucky was a school teacher and the son of Peggy. So it was just this nice family in California. And um, in 1983, things got really weird because Judy Johnson. Oh, it's always a Judy. (laughs) It's always a Judy. A moody Judy. Judy, a moody Judy accused um, her estranged husband and Raymond Bucky, which is one of the teachers, like I just said, of sodomizing her son who attends the preschool. And she also accused school employees of bestiality, Peggy of, quote, drilling a child under the arms, unquote, and Ray of flying in the air. So based on this woman's accusations, this crazy, inter- like, it was international news trial, like, became part of, like, the American conscience uh johnson was diagnosed and hospitalized later for acute paranoid schizophrenia and three years after uh making all these accusations in 1986 she was found dead in her home due to chronic alcoholism so she wasn't a real reputable source for making these kind of accusations (laughs) but that really didn't matter because at that time everybody just kind of took all of this stuff and ran with it um (laughs) <laughs> this is what – and I don't know. I know you're not, like, super familiar with this, Jason, but the one thing that people always, like, say is that you never – when questioning children, like, in cases of abuse and stuff like that, you don't use leading questions. Like, exactly. you don't try to, like, implant memories because then you have false memories and you know, you just – you don't ever get down to the truth of what actually happened. But – um It says police sent a form letter to about 200 parents, 200 parents of children that attended this preschool and stated that their child may have been abused and encouraged them to question their kids. So this is the letter. I'm just going to read the letter. It's a short letter. So September 8th, 1983. Dear parent, the department is conducting a criminal investigation involving child molestation. Ray Bucky, they name him. They name him several times in this letter. An employee of Virginia McMartin's preschool was arrested September 7th, 1983 by this department. The following procedure is obviously an unpleasant one. But to protect the rights of your children as well as the rights of the accused, this inquiry, inquiry is necessary for a complete investigation. Records indicate that your child has been or is currently a student at the preschool. We are asking your assistance in this continuing investigation. Please question your child to see if he or she has been witness to any crime or if he or she has been a victim. It gets better. 
Our investigation indicates that possible criminal acts include oral sex, fondling of genitals, buttock or chest area, and sodomy, possibly committed under the pretense of taking the child's temperature, in quotes. Also, photos may have been taken of children without their clothing. Any information from your child regarding having ever observed Ray Bucky to leave a classroom alone with a child during any nap period or if they have ever observed Ray Bucky tie up a child is important. God. (laughs) This is horrible. I just can't believe this actually happened. Please complete the enclosed information form and return it to this department in the enclosed stamped return envelope as soon as possible. We will contact you if circumstances dictate same. We ask you please keep this investigation strictly confidential because of the nature of the charges and the highly emotional effect it could have on our community. It really doesn't matter if, like, you know, you you question your child about oral sex or sodomy. Like, like their, you know, highly emotional effects, like, that, that that doesn't count. Please do not discuss this investigation with anyone outside your immediate family. Do not contact or discuss the investigation with Raymond Bucky or any <laughs> member of the accused defendant's family or employees connected with the McMartin Preschool. See, I have no idea how this ended up in such a clusterfuck. Like, I, I, I don't, like, was, wasn't he already arrested? So how would they talk to him? I don't know, but, like, the fact that they name him, like, I don't yeah. know how he didn't, like, just, like, get mobbed and, like, strung lynched. up and lynched. Yeah. Yeah. Just, I, I can't imagine. And this man, like, spoiler alert, this man was completely innocent. He did right. absolutely nothing. No. And he ended up serving five years in prison during this whole trial, this whole, like, debacle. That's a life ruining. It's horrible, yes. And he's still alive to this day, but, I I mean, obviously, I would be living out in the mountains somewhere and just, I would just want to be left alone. Oh, um, yeah. It's just awful that this happened. But I can't believe that, like, they thought that would be, like, a good way to gather evidence is to just sh- scare the shit out of, like, all of these people with children. That whole letter was leading. It's yeah. It's exactly like, mm-hmm. like you should be like asking like if you've just seen something that you know their kids have seen something that might be out of the ordinary instead of saying tied up a child. No, exactly. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like well, that's very. It's, specific. It was it, it was right out of the gate. It was a shit show. Right out of the gate. Well, did, so did, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, didn't they say too? Some of the kids said that they were like hung on hooks. I read something. They made all of these crazy ideas. Yeah, hung on hooks, Mm -hmm. made to, like, drink blood mixed with urine. Like, Mm -hmm. this was their big thing. Yeah, and this was all, like, like, taken as fact and was, like, used in testimony for this this court with this poor family. And the – with the interview process, like, they they rounded up several hundred children that were involved with this school – and were interviewed in highly suggestive techniques, very much like the letter I just read, which encouraged mm-hmm. them to speculate and pretend about potential scenarios. And then it says here, by the spring of 1984, 360 children were claimed they were abused. 360. And a lot of times with, like, questioning children, and, and this is, like, the terrible, like, you know, guinea pig example of how you're never supposed to do this, Um where was I going with this? Oh, it was basically like you, these children, like just subconsciously, they, you say what 
the person questioning you wants you to say. Mm-hmm. Like the adult will ask you the same thing over and over and over again. Until you give them the answer until that you, you want. Exactly. Until you say, yeah, I was, I was uh, flushed down a toilet. That was, that was one of the things that these kids said. Well, there was also things said like babies in ovens, like in multiple cases, because this exploded across just, the nation. Yeah, it's impossible. It's impossible that any of this stuff happened. And it just is mind boggling to me that all of these adults and people in charge, like, professors and psychiatrists and stuff that came in and, and questioned these children actually thought that this was believable. Um, she, yeah, and, and here's, here's an example. Astrid Heppenstall Heger, she was a renowned professor clinical, in, of clinical pediatrics at U.S. Pediatrics at USC, excuse me. She examined the children, took photos of them. Her findings were later believed to be based on unsubstantiated evidence. Surprise, surprise. And the person, her name's Key McFarlane, that was questioning these kids, she was the one that uh, introduced the whole, like, show me on the doll. Oh, and puppets. Show me on the doll. Yeah. She was the one that started that. And I don't think they even use that technique anymore. If they do, it's, like, in very, very rare circumstances. Right. Because little like four year olds, they think, okay, well, I guess I gotta like pick pick apart on the doll where this person touched it. Like it's just yeah, they don't still have full cognitive skills absolutely. yet of reasoning and yeah, absolutely. Um, so and this person, Key McFarlane, she later described herself. She just she didn't later. She described herself as a psychotherapist, but she had absolutely no credentials to back that up, mm. none. Um, but I guess that didn't matter. No. And then after reviewing the videotaped interviews, exer- experts felt the questioning techniques were coercive, improper, and adult-directed. And the videotaped interviews ultimately led to the jury's refusal to convict. Uh, the kids alleged that they saw witches fly, mm-hmm. were taken in underground tunnels, which to this day has kind of like held some water for some reason. Like if you go on YouTube, there's, uh, <laughs> there's uh, supposedly... McMartin underground tunnel video footage where like the conspiracy theory is still living on oh, wow. to this day, um, which there's absolutely no evidence of any underground tunnels. Sounds like some Alex Jones stuff. Oh, t- absolutely. <laughs> one kid identified actor Chuck Norris as one of the abusers. <laughs> what? <laughs> they, 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 like, I don't the like prosecutor- his politics, but come on, Chuck Norris. No, I know. He's Walker, Texas Ranger. He wouldn't hurt any kids. Yeah. He just want to hurt. He just wants to help them. He's a karate master. He is. And just, like, the, my favorite accusation that I mentioned earlier, children being flushed down toilets to secret rooms to be abused and then cleaned up before their parents came to pick them up. So they, they, they <laughs> it was big enough for a child to be flushed to a secret room. That's yes. like Harry Potter, like we're when talk- they open like, the toilet. Yeah, we're talking like four-year-olds. They said this, and the, I can just remember, like, a, a lady in a room with a clipboard, like, writing that down, like, yeah, okay, you were flushed down a toilet? That must be so awful for you. I'm so sorry. Um, Gives me a good idea for a haunted water park now. <laughs> that is so, that's awesome. I love that. <laughs> so the woman who ended up uh, being like the uh, initial Moody Judy, like the yeah. lady that like started this whole thing, the prosecution said Johnson's mental illness was caused by the events of the trial. That's what they claimed. But mm-hmm. she actually admitted to them that she was mentally ill before the trial um, they kept this information from the defense for three years. Now that's shitty on the defense's part. Like I don't know how you could keep something like that, like somebody like so like necessary to the trial and to this, you know, all these accusations and everything. How you could keep that secret for three years? But apparently they did. Um, 
And then once once it was revealed she was mentally ill, the prosecution just produced a bunch of like watered down reports. Oh, she's not as crazy as she as we think she as you guys think she is. Right. She's Pe- not that crazy. Well, people don't want to admit they're wrong or lose well, their no. job. Of course not. You know. At the cost of like this poor family that just wanted to run a preschool. <laughs> I know. And these terrified parents in this community. So on March 22nd, 1984, Virginia McMartin, Peggy McMartin, her daughter, and then their her son, Ray Bucky, and the sister and three other teachers, they were all charged with 321 counts of child abuse involving 48 children. That's a busy daycare. That's a very, like very three people, busy daycare. 360 children. <laughs> It's a very, they must have like just worked around the clock. Like the kids in Manhattan Beach in the 80s must have like, their parents must have worked like really long shifts. I mean, like, I guess if you took one child at a time during every hour and flushed them down a toilet into a room, I guess it could probably work over so many years. I, yeah, you'd have to do the math on that. But yeah, I could see. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> and none of these kids said anything before. Nobody's, yeah. None yeah. of these children Not said one. anything un, unquestioned. None of them said anything without being basically coerced into saying it beforehand. And kids are honest. Kids will say, like, they tell on their parents to their other parents. Absolutely. You can't get away with anything with a kid usually. No. No, you can't. And and kids usually know when they're being bullshitted. Mm -hmm. So it's like, it's, it's... It's just mind boggling. Anyway, they, and when they like question these kids, you know, in their minds, they're like, "I just want to go play. This is so boring." Yeah, I'm four. I don't want to talk about this weird stuff that yeah. I don't know anything about. And like, one of them claimed, like, it's kind of cute. One of them claimed that they went on a hot, hot air balloon ride. <laughs> one of them went on a hot air balloon ride. This, which I this mean, was, preschool had some good, you know, money. I mean, they had like it. a lot of budget. I mean, yeah, it was a successful daycare preschool center, but come on. I don't think they had hot air balloon money, but one kid was like, yeah, we want a hot air balloon ride. Um, and then to make it all come back full circle, back to Michelle Remembers, this book that I started talking about at the beginning was testimony was inconsistent, but um, the Michelle Remembers authors, like mm-hmm. those two people, those two kooks, were brought in to basically meet with the parents and like comfort the parents because, you know, they were still selling the bullshit story that they – you know, went like that. This Michelle chick like went through all this horrible ritual satanic abuse, and the prosecutor felt that, based on what sh- how her interaction with the kids, they were coming up with these wild stories based on like you know all the witchcraft and satanic stuff. Um, and it said that you know obviously it was incredibly weak evidence. Eventually. All the charges were dropped against Virginia McMartin, Peggy Bucky, and the three teachers that were also accused and had to stand trial. And in 1990, after three years of testimony, nine weeks of deliberation by the jury, nine weeks. Like, the jury had to think about this for nine weeks. Well, the toilets sound really plausible. (laughs) Exactly. It was that toilet, man. Like... I don't know how many times when I was like three and four that I got flushed down that toilet. <laughs> like I had, a, we had a big toilet at my grandma's house. Right. And like, I would get stuck down there all the time. Yeah. It was like, we had a plunger. I was more worried about snakes. <laughs> oh, speaking of horror movies, you remember that movie Goonies? Oh, I love Goonies. They bite you in the end. Yes. 
I was convinced that Goonies lived in the toilet. <gasps> oh, that's not Goonies. That's Ghoulies. Oh, Ghoul. I'm sorry. That's all Ghoulies. right. Ghoulies. I just oh. recently watched Ghoulies 1 and 2. Because like the, the cover, like the VHS cover has like the bald demon coming out of the toilet. The green one, yeah. And I didn't even buy, I didn't even see that movie when I was a kid, but I was like, I was convinced that they were in the toilet and they're going to bite me in the butt. Anyway. Um, <laughs> that's Satan. So they were all acquitted on all counts. Raymond Bucky, after serving five years in jail during all of this, um, he was cleared on all accounts. The prosecution was just like, fuck it. We don't have anything on this guy. He's already served five years in prison. We've wasted all this money. Um, he should have countersued for that one. I hope that they got so much money. I didn't, right. I didn't see anything about that, but I hope they sued the fuck out of the state of California. Going to jail being a pedophile, like in quotes for him, like they don't treat you usually pretty kindly. From what I hear, I've never been to jail. Same here. I mean, yeah, that's what you always hear. Child molesters get, yeah, they get beaten mercilessly and you have to go sit by yourself alone in a corner and eat. And like, you can't even interact with the population because you're the lowest of the low. Right. So uh, I just can't imagine what that poor guy went through. Raymond Bucky, if you're listening to this, you're, you're awesome. And we hope you're living, we hope you're living a peaceful, happy life and you go to bed on a giant pile of money every night Yeah, that we, you were given from the state of California. We love you, Mr. Bucky. We love you, Mr. Bucky. <laughs> so in 1990, in 1990, after three years of testimony, like I already said this part, sorry, uh, Ray Bucky was cleared. I already went through that, blah, 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 blah. The trial lasted seven years and cost $15 million. It was the longest and most expensive criminal history criminal case in the history of the United States legal system and ultimately resulted in no convictions. What a huge waste of time and money. In 2005, one of the children, as an adult, retracted the allegations of abuse. Surprise, surprise. And this is a direct quote from one of these kids as an adult. Never did anyone do anything to me, and I never saw them do anything. I said a lot of things that didn't happen. I lied. Anytime I would give them an answer that they didn't like, they would ask again and encourage me to give them the answer that they were looking for. I felt uncomfortable and a little ashamed that I was being dishonest. But at the same time, being the type of person I was, whatever my parents wanted me to do, I would do. Didn't want to get in trouble. No. It's, it's just really sad. And they did a, um, an HBO movie came out about the trial like a million years ago, I think in like the mid-90s. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, Henry Thomas Elliot from E.T. plays Raymond Bucky in it, which I thought was kind of cool. Well, E.T.'s evil, too, by the way. Oh, I'm sorry. It's in the book. It's <laughs> How is E.T. satanic? You know, I forget. I was just, I don't know. Maybe because he's, he's extraterrestrial. F- and some Christians believe extraterrestrials are like demons in disguise oh. that are trying to make you not believe. Oh, that makes so much sense. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. The 80s really were the worst. <laughs> I mean, they, they were, were the worst and the best. Yeah, I would say it was bittersweet because I love the 80s, but then, like, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. all this shit that, like, yeah, anyway, I just I just think it's a really sad, awful thing that happened that a lot of people for, for have forgotten about. Um, but that's the McMartin preschool trial. Wow. Yeah. So... What did you think? What did you think of this new, uh, not the the new uh, 
podcast, the episode, the first your first timer, first time ever inaugural virgin. episode. What a virgin and podcast. Oh, I in know. General. We just popped our cherry. Yeah, we popped your cherry. Thank you. It needed to be popped. We popped my hosting cherry. Yes. So you were a wonderful host. Well, thank you. It was it was good for you then? It was really good for me. All right, we need to go have a cigarette. Yeah, <laughs> it was that good. <laughs> it was that good. It was that good for me. No. So um, if you have any suggestions or if you would like to correct anything that we may have said that was <laughs> that you don't agree with or that was that we stated as fact that wasn't, I have a Gmail setup. I think it's it's uh, things get dark podcast at gmail.com. So feel free to email me. My name's Adrian. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it and we look forward to hearing from you and doing this again. Thank you fun. so much. Thank you so much, Jason. Thank you. Jason for Robbins, me. ladies and gentlemen. Yay. Yay. Formal Pente- former Pentecostal kid. <laughs> FPK. FPK. <laughs>